hey, I want to put a picture up on the screen um, for you. Uh, well, wait, just wait, okay? <laughs> so that's Lincoln. And uh, if you don't know Lincoln, he is our four-year-old son. And um, Lincoln, as I thought about this series, and I thought about the idea of overcome, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about giants that, um, that, that we know at the cross, Jesus defeated the giants in our lives once and for all. But um, Lincoln and I had a conversation about a month and a half, two months ago, that reminded me that these giants, even though they're defeated, um, they're, still, they're still calling out to us. Okay, so Lincoln, he's in firefighter mode right now, okay? Fire trucks, fire equipment, fire plastic fire hats, you name it, he wants to wear it. And so he walked into my room um, and, and he said, Dad, he knew that I wanted to be a firefighter growing up. It was like a lifelong dream. And he said, Dad, um, why did you decide not to be a firefighter? Okay, now, i got to keep in mind he's four years old. That moment took me through a lot of years of pain because it was a lifelong dream, didn't work out. Um, I, I went pretty far in the process, and then it just didn't work out. And I thought, you know what, he's four. He doesn't need to know those details. So I said, well, buddy, um, it just didn't work out, but, but God used it to send me in a different direction. And he looked at me, and he went, because you weren't brave enough. And, and right as my heart was ripping in half, he followed with this. And now you're a church pastor. <laughs> and, and I had to kind of go through all the possible responses to that. At first I went, I, at first I thought, maybe I should just say, I'm sorry my life is such a disappointment to you, okay? And then I got to defensive and I, I wanted to say, you know what, you don't even know me, Okay. Problem is, he's my son. He, he does know me. And where I landed was this conversation that has rattled around in my brain for the last month and a half, two months. And I get these moments where I'm like, what if he's right? Maybe I'm scared. Maybe I'm full of fear. And yet, that, that conversation rattling around in my brain, I think, is evidence that even though you can, you can actually hear, as we did on Easter, that Jesus has defeated the giants in our lives. And yet, it's possible to be, still be totally distracted by those giants, isn't it? And so this morning, we're going to dive in. I want to talk about one of those giants. And, and I actually want us to look at a passage this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. But this passage really comes on, on the heels of, of an incredible victory, where we see the Lord really defeat a giant in the life of one of his messengers named Elijah. Okay, and Elijah... He was, he was God's messenger to, to Israel, and God had allowed this king named Ahab to become king over Israel. And under Ahab, Israel began to worship not the Lord, but this, this foreign god named Baal. And so Elijah called him out on it. He said, Ahab, you're, you're steering, you're guiding the people the wrong way. You're, you're just taking them down the wrong path. And Ahab said, no, you are. And so Long story short, Ahab, or, uh, Elijah says, let's have a showdown, okay? You put a sacrifice on the altar, I'll put a sacrifice on the altar, and you can get your 450 prophets to call down fire from Baal, and I'll ask the Lord to call down fire, and whichever God answers, he's the true living God. Well, these 450 prophets called out to Baal, nothing happened. Elijah steps up, and he says, Lord God, 
Make it known that you are the one true God and fire falls from the heavens onto this altar. Immediately after that, Elijah has all these prophets slain, slaughtered for their role in guiding, guiding Israel in the wrong direction. And that is where our story is going to pick up this morning. And as we look at this passage, you know what we're going to discover, this first part? Is that you're going you're gonna to see, and, and as, I was, as I saw, as I was looking at this passage, exactly how the giant of fear still tries to operate in our lives. So 1 Kings chapter 19, look at the first couple of verses here. Now Ahab told Jezebel, okay, the king Ahab is married to this woman, Jezebel. All right. Jezebel is, uh, for lack of a better phrase, just a terrible person. My apologies to anybody in here named Jezebel, okay? But Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, if you're Elijah, you got to be thinking, you know what? No big deal. Like, I know what God just walked me through. I know what God just used me for. You'd think we'd see this bold display of courage from Elijah. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. And what do we do when we're afraid? It's usually fight or flight, isn't it? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, I was reading this, and I just went, what? Elijah, after all you've seen, after what God just did with you, you ran? I mean, it was one sentence. One little sentence sent you running. And I look at this, and I'm just blown away that he would run, and yet we all know, we all know this experience, don't we? Because truth be told, you have areas in your life, and I have areas in my life where all it takes is one sentence, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's a doctor, just has to say one sentence. It's a boss. It's a family member. It's your son saying, maybe you weren't brave enough, Dad. No, but we all have these areas, don't we? We do. So I want you to keep those areas in mind as we walk through this passage. Verse, uh, verse 3 continues. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and look at this, prayed that he might die. Do you want to know what fear's goal is for you and for me? It's to get us to agree with it. Right? Jezebel says this sentence, you deserve to die. And by the end of this, where's Elijah? He's praying that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Are, are you here this morning? And have you had enough? Have you had enough? Something, something scared you, something sent you running, and you're now at a point of just total exhaustion? Those times come for everybody, for everybody. He says, I've had enough, Lord. And then look what he says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, I want you to notice something about that statement. That is a statement that Elijah is making about his own worth, his own value. 
And, and this is a picture of exactly how the giant of fear works in our lives. Because how did this all start? How did it start? One sentence. And by the end of it, Elijah is making statements about his own value and his own worth. It still happens today. You know how the giant of fear works in our lives? The giant of fear works by taking life's external shouts and creating internal doubts inside of us. That's how the giant of fear works. Takes these external shouts that we all get from life every single day, and he turns them into internal doubts. There was, uh, was a couple months ago in Scotland, a news story came out about this farmer. And this farmer there is a young farmer. He had um, some pregnant cows on his farm. And so one day he was going out to check on these cows, and he stopped in his tracks, and about 50 yards away, he sees just, just through the brush, there's a tiger. There's a tiger. So the farmer runs back in, calls the police, calls animal control, and within an hour, they had this place surrounded by over 300 armed officers, animal control people, and, and news is coming on scene, and they're all surrounding this, this tiger from a distance. Well, they noticed after about an hour that this thing hadn't moved. And so finally, somebody moved in closer. You know what they discovered? It was a giant stuffed animal tiger. <laughs> giant stuffed animal tiger. And I went, that's it. That's exactly what fear does to us. It'll take something like that, that's as silly as a stuffed animal, and what happens? It happens inside, doesn't it? We get swirling around, and it becomes chaos. And I think that if Elijah could have just taken the perspective of God that we talked about last week, can we see these giants through the perspective of God? You know what he would have found out? Elijah, Jezebel is like a stuffed tiger. That's it. But that's how fear operates. Well, having seen, having seen how fear operates, Elijah is about to discover exactly how his heavenly father, our heavenly father, operates. Here he is, he's laying under this broom bush, and verse 5 says he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, let me stop on this verse here, because you know who this is for? This is for every single person in here that you think, and I think, that we've run too far that somehow we've run too far, we've run too much of a distance away from our Heavenly Father. You know what this says? No matter how far you run, I will meet you wherever you are at. And not only does he do that, but you know, you know who he sends? I was reading this, and I went, well, this is so cool. God sends Betty Crocker onto the scene. Look at this next verse, verse 6. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Isn't it interesting that when fear shows up, we, we talked about this a little bit ago, what's our reaction? It's either run harder or run away. It's fight or flight. And yet when, when our Heavenly Father shows up, you know what he says? He says, no, no, no. It's not, it's not the shouts and doubts. It's not fight or flight. It's rest and replenish and rest and replenish. So Elijah does just that. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey 
is too much for you. And what you see happen next is exactly what happens when we actually take that counsel. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. Look at this. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Now, think about this for a minute, okay? When fear showed up and Elijah went running, how far did he make it? About a day's journey. And where does he end up? In the wilderness. When his father, his heavenly father showed up and nourished him, how far does he go? 40 days, 40 nights. And where does he end up? The very mountain of God himself. Well, how interesting. You know what I think we're discovering here? What, what this is showing us? Is that you and I will run much further on our Father's nourishment, our Heavenly Father's nourishment, than on fear's diet of the shouts and the doubts. It means that your Heavenly Father can nourish you much further and much farther than your fear can chase you. And I think we get this, right? It should, it should raise a question for us. And it's simply this. What does my diet consist of? Now, I don't mean literally with food, but what does, my, what does my spiritual diet consist of? Because as I read this, as I got honest, and as I looked in the mirror, I realized a lot of days I wake up to the shouts and the doubts, and the shouts and the doubts. And we've got a Heavenly Father who's saying, no, 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 just rest and replenish, and rest and replenish. And we do, we get this with literal food, don't we? I mean, hopefully everybody under, in here understands that you can't, you can't do fast food every single meal, right? Hopefully, everybody gets teenagers, all right. Hopefully we get that. And yet, you know what it does? It shouts to you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten off C-470, I'm driving up Kipling, and there is, I, I have to like even look to the left now, Chick-fil-A is right there. And have you noticed it just shouts to you? And, and I'll be going up Kipling, like, not going, not going. Suddenly I'm in the drive-thru. And Carol's like, how do we get here? I'm like, I, it called, it called, and it pulled the wheel, hon. I, I don't know. But we're stuck. We got to eat it, okay? But have you tried to exercise or do anything after eating a, a giant fast food meal? How's that go? <laughs> it doesn't. You don't start, actually. And that's exactly what a diet of fear does to us. And so here is, is Elijah, his heavenly father, saying, look, there, you can run on something else. You can run on something else, and you go so much further. And so now, Elijah, he's at Horeb, the mountain of God. But this is interesting. Look where Elijah ends up in verse 9. There, he went into a cave and spent the night. When you look throughout Scripture, and you see somebody go into a cave, you know what you see every single time? They're running, they're isolated, or they're hiding. They're running, they're isolated, or they're hiding. And I thought, how interesting. Here he is at the mountain of God, and yet he's still seeking out the place of fear, isolation, and hiding. Is it possible that we do the same? 
with him in our lives, whether it's here at church or in our everyday lives. He says, look, you can be in my presence. Why are you hiding? Regardless, the Lord finds him and speaks to him. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And it's a good question for us. What, what are you doing here? Was it just I was driving by and I thought I would check out inside that big building? No, it's more than that. Whether you think so or not, your heavenly father, he drew you. He drew you here. He, he draws us to him. And, and you don't have to have a good answer to it. It can't be worse than what Elijah's was next. Look what Elijah says. Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, it's childish, isn't it? He, he's throwing a pity party. He's saying, I, I've been faithful, God and they've been naughty, and I'm the only one left, and now they're still being naughty. Regardless, the Lord answers him. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In other words, Elijah, I don't want you to do something. I want you to hear something. Now, if we could pause here for just a minute, if you were in a cave and God, you heard God say to you, I want you to go stand in my presence because I'm about to pass by, what would that look like? If you could imagine, what would that look like? If it's anything like me, when life has been shouting and, and the soundtrack of fear has been cranked way up in my life, I expect God to answer the same. It's kind of like talking to somebody when they've got headphones on. Have you noticed that you talk in a normal voice and they answer you like this? It's like, no, I'm, I'm right here, actually. And when the soundtrack of fear and its external shouts and internal doubts has been that loud in our lives, I think we expect the Lord to do the same, don't we? That's why we need these next couple verses. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And if you and I were standing there, we'd probably be thinking, wow, Lord, you're so powerful. You're so mighty. Look how, look how the sentence ends. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. And if you and I were standing there and, and we had experienced this, I think we'd think, wow, God, you can move anything. You can shake anything. And the sentence ends, the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire. And if you and I had been standing there, we'd think, oh, wow, Lord, you can consume anything. You can consume anything. Your fire is, is all-consuming. And the sentence ends, but the Lord was not in the fire. Is it possible? Is it possible that we are asking God to just shout a little bit louder or a lot louder than the external shouts and the internal doubts? Is it possible? I know that's been me a number of times. Lord, if you would just, if you would just yell, if you'd spell it out in the sky, 
do something. And having seen where God was not, Elijah and you and I now get a chance to discover where he's at. After the fire came a gentle whisper. After the fire came a gentle whisper. If fear, if the giant of fear chases with the external shouts and the internal doubts, do you want to know how your heavenly father operates? Underneath fears, external shouts, and internal doubts are the father's eternal whispers. Underneath all the shouts and all the doubts are his whispers. And I emphasize the word underneath because when we understand that it's underneath, then we understand how to deal with the giant of fear when the giant of fear comes calling. And you see it in the next verse. Elijah, verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What is Elijah doing here? At the beginning of the verse, he's where? He's in the cave. By the end of the verse, he's out of the cave. He has repositioned himself. It's like when somebody's whispering to you and you can't quite make out what they're saying, what do you do? You reposition. You get a little closer. That's really what this is about. Can we reposition ourselves to hear the whisper? Underneath the external shouts and the internal doubts are his eternal whispers. A few years ago, we took the high school group here to Pagosa Springs. It was a winter camp that we would go to every single year, and there were about 60 of them who went. And one night, we were, we were talking, and uh, we were actually talking about this very passage. And so I had David Perez, who's now our youth director. I said, David, I need you to go find somewhere in the house to hide. And we've put two $50 bills somewhere around the property here. It was a big property. Um, there's two $50 bills somewhere around the property, and I want you to just start whispering. Like, go hide and just start whispering the location of those $50 bills. So David went upstairs, and he hid, and he's... he's presumably like in this closet whispering the location of these $50 bills. And then I gathered the whole group and we left and he didn't figure it out for three days. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I kept talking to the high schoolers for a few minutes and I said, hey, somewhere in this house or on this property are two $50 bills in two separate places. And if you can find David Perez, he'll tell you where they're at. Well, so everybody goes running. You can imagine all these high schoolers running all over the place. And a few of them finally get to this room where David was hiding in the closet. But the TV was blaring, and the music was up, and the fan was on, and David's hiding in this closet. And um, a few of them open the door, and they finally see David. And it's amazing. They're shouting at him to just yell over the TV, the music, and the fan. And David wouldn't do it. Just kept whispering. Finally, a couple of them turned off the TV turn down the music, turn down the fan, still can't hear them. Two of them were wise enough to get up close. Because where do you need to be to hear a whisper? In the very presence of. And so two, two high schoolers went home $50 richer that weekend. But when you look at what happens next, is we're about to find out. The implications of hearing the whisper are so much greater than a $50 bill. But before we get there, let me ask, 
We all have got to ask ourselves, am I positioned to hear the whisper? Am I positioned to hear the whisper? And I know there's the shouts and the doubts and all that going on, but are we positioned in the presence of our Heavenly Father to hear the whisper? Because what happens next is what happens when you hear it. <clears throat> verse 15. Sorry, verse 14. Then a voice said to him, I lied, it's verse 13. Sorry, I was just seeing if you're, in, in, if you're ready, Chloe. <laughs> then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> Same question from the Lord. Same answer from Elijah, but what's different now? His position. Elijah's in a different position, and now he's going to hear something. Here's what the whisper says. The Lord said to him, verse 15, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. Translation, Elijah, I still have a plan. But that's not all. He continues, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Translation, Elijah, I still have a plan. Elijah, I will provide. There is help coming. And he, and he gives these details to Elijah, exactly what he's supposed to do. And then two verses later in verse 18, he says, yet I reserve 7,000. In other words, you're not the only one left, Elijah. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Translation, Elijah, I still have a plan. Elijah, I will provide. And Elijah, you have a purpose in that plan. Did you know that your heavenly father he has a plan for you. He will provide for you, and he has a purpose for you. But what's really interesting is how he wants to communicate that. Because while fear chases us every single day, all day long, with the external shouts and the internal doubts, you have a Heavenly Father who will show up in the place of exhaustion where you've had enough, and he will strengthen you to come to him, to be in his presence, and then he will whisper you into that presence. And he wants to whisper, I have a plan. And I will provide. And you have a purpose in all of it. You do. Now, Elijah, Elijah heard that whisper outside a cave on a mountain. Do you want to know where that whisper is found for you and for me? It's at the cross in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Because it's the cross that, that was God's whisper to the world. It's fine. I still have a plan. And it's the cross and the empty tomb where, where your heavenly father whispers, I will provide. I'll provide my son as your sacrifice and I will provide my spirit to be your strength. And it's at the empty tomb that he communicates, you have a purpose. Because when his son rose again, 
he gave his spirit to give to us, to live out our specific purpose. And so, if it's your first time here this morning, you know what you got to know? Your heavenly father is calling you. He's calling you. And he wants to whisper to you. And if you want to hear that whisper, talk to some, go, go talk to somebody. Say, I want to go into his presence. Talk to him. Come find one of us afterwards. If it's your thousandth time here, you have a heavenly father who wants to whisper to you that he has a plan, that he will provide, and that he has a purpose. May we be people who understand that it's underneath fears external shouts and internal doubts that we hear our Heavenly Father's eternal whispers. And let's run on whispers rather than the shouts and the doubts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who as much running as we do, and a lot of it's running on the adrenaline that fear throws our way or produces in us, no matter how far we run, you love us so much. You want to communicate with us so much that you'll meet us wherever we're at and you will strengthen us to come to you. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you and we want to come out of hiding, out of the cave of fear and hiding and isolation because we want to hear your whisper. Every single person in here, we want to hear your whisper. And so whisper to us. Whisper your plan. Whisper your provision and whisper our purpose to each and every single person in here so that we may deal every single day, this day and every day, with the giant of fear when it comes calling. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for coming. Have a great week.